Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Reluctant Historian, the podcast where I teach my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian. Hey, I'm Dakota. So, ooh, here we go. The this first is exciting. Time. I know, it is actually exciting. Yeah. So, I have been planning this um, podcast topic for a while. Okay, I'm excited. Uh, yeah. To find out what I'm going to be learning about. I today. know, it's been a really long time. Um, I feel like I've just held this as a secret from you for too long. So, I'm actually, like, actually really excited to tell you. So You've been hiding this from me? I, I have been. All right. So, on today's episode, we will be talking about the history of vaccines. That, that is very appropriate for the for the time that we're in. Yeah. I you're going to have to sell me on this this one. I'm I think it could be cool, but I want to see what you got. I know you're doing a lot of research on it, so I'm very curious to see what you uh how you're going to wow me and you know, convince everyone that history is cool. Yes. So, a little uh, brief caveat, if you will. Um, I started doing the research about the history of vaccines, and it is huge. There, You could probably do a whole season on vaccines and different vaccinations and the history of them. So, we did actually have to pare this down. Um, and so, what I'm actually talking about right now is the history of the smallpox vaccination. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'll talk a little bit about other vaccinations and what was going on, but you just there's just too much history to actually talk about. So we're going to look specifically at the history of the smallpox vaccination. So yeah, right on. I'm excited to learn learn a bit more about this because I hear different things as to whether, like, for instance, the vaccine that they're currently doling out. Like somebody said that it takes like. Oh, four years before a vaccine is ready to go. and Well, that's fast. That's fast. Four, four years four is years fast. fast? Yeah. Okay, so and we're getting one in less than a year. <laughs> or yeah, so, a little over a year or whatever. Yeah, so, well, under, right? So January 2020. January. Oh, yeah, I guess it's out for mm-hmm. some people now, right? So. Yeah. So I will talk about that a little bit as well. Okay, okay, cool. I'm, exci- I'm excited. You know what? You're kind of like, you're getting me a little hype. A little it, tease okay? here, if little, you will. A little tease, okay. All right. All right, so sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to us talk about vaccines. And uh, before we get into that... Let's just uh, give a shout out to our friend Joel Reimer, who has created our cool intro music. to begin by acknowledging that we are on traditional lands right now. We are recording on traditional lands of Treaty 6 territory. Treaty 6 encompasses the traditional territories of numerous First Nations, including Cree, Dene, Nakoda, Soto, and Ojibwe, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We are dedicated to ensuring that the spirit of reconciliation and Treaty 6 is honored and respected. 
This acknowledgement also reaffirms our relationship with one another. And in the future, I will talk a little bit about what land acknowledgement is and why it's so important to Canadian history. But uh, that is a topic for future podcast episodes. Let's have a little bit of an introduction here so you can get to know who I and Dakota are before you start to listen to us talk about vaccines. Uh, my name is Liz, and like I said, I am a historian. Personally, I teach history, but I also have a second degree in history. I loved history so much that I decided not only do I want to teach it, but I would like to study it. So I've been teaching for about 12 years and I realized during the pandemic when I went into quarantine and I was teaching online that I really missed having a captive audience in front of me who just had to listen to everything that I was saying and then because they wanted good marks they had to pretend that what I was saying was really interesting. So Dakota is kind of filling that void in my heart right now. And I want brownie points. So I have to pretend like what she's what she's saying is interesting too. <laughs> so you're kind of like one of my students, I right? Am. Yeah, you want good marks, brownie points. Yep, brownie points. I want to be I want to be a good boy. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. So I am really passionate about history. I've been in love with the topic since I was in grade eleven. And one thing that I've just kind of discovered being a history teacher is that it's a lot more than just memorizing dates and facts and remembering stupid battles or boring old white men that did things. Um, history is a lot about the causes and the stories and the relationships between different things that have happened. And I think that people meet history with a negative view and so I want to change that uh, help people to understand that history is actually cool and so I'm starting with my husband explaining to him that history is actually cool as someone who is one day going to be a boring old man I take offense to that all right so Dakota you're my husband yes Um, you don't like history not at all do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got here yeah so uh you know I've been at a high school for Oh, 10 years now. So just a quick fact there. Uh, he is seven years younger than me because yeah. I have been teaching for 10 years. You might have noticed. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, how old? When you graduated, I was how old? Graduated high school or university? Yeah. 11. No, 15. no, nine. Because I, I would have been, I graduated when I was 17. And so you had been 10. I was 10. That's uh. I guess that, that was actually pretty easy math. We should have been able to figure that out. Uh, she's uh, seven years older than me. and uh, okay, We're so. not teaching the history of math. We're not talking any math classes here. This is just history class. Okay. I did, if it helps, I liked history better than I liked math. I also liked history better than math. And that's why we're together to this day. So I was very close to failing history in uh, grade 12. I got a uh, 50%, which, uh, you know, uh, teachers called the the old mercy pass. Uh, Yeah, so I've never liked history. I've always found it uh, to be a very boring topic. I mean, I know it ranges so many different topics, but I just find find it uh, uh, boring. Just can't remember anything about any form, like any history. Uh, the, The only sort of history that I've liked is the Assassin's Creed video games, but even in those, the history is my least favorite part. My favorite part is just going around and uh, stabbing people and stuff like that. Right. So I think that Dakota here is actually a really typical person that you would encounter when you're like, when you talk about history and especially 
history in high school. And so I really want to change that stigma that history is not boring. And so my hope and my goal is that Dakota and you listeners will realize that history can be really cool. And so a little blurb here about our podcast and what it's going to look like before we get into vaccines. So don't worry, I didn't forget that we are going to be talking about the smallpox vaccination. But so what happens is I'm going to tell Dakota a story from history. Now that could be um, a specific event that happened. It could be talking about a person's life. Um, It could be talking about a concept. So today is an example of a concept. We're talking about vaccines and that encompasses a whole bunch of different things. And so I will tell him a story from history and then he gets a chance to rate it. Yes. So can you explain a little bit right now, Dakota, what that means to rate something in history? Yeah, so basically I'm just going to listen to her story and I'm going to tell her if, essentially, if it uh, if I was fascinated by it, if it, if it gets a 10, uh, then I'm just like, it, it just rocked my socks off. But if it gets a 1, you know, that's the bottom of the barrel. Alright, I know we've been making you guys wait for a while, but I promise you our next couple episodes, the intro will not be as long. The history of humanity is the history of disease. As humans, we've grown up, well, we've evolved always with disease as part of what we just kind of have to deal with as being humans. Um, And so it's also the history of our attempts to eradicate and protect ourselves from disease. And so anytime we're talking about humanity, we're also talking about diseases that have infected us. Right now we're seeing unprecedented rollouts of a vaccine in order to combat COVID-19. Yes, as they all say in, during these times, we are in unprecedented times. We are in unprecedented times. <laughs> yes, I love that line. It's I know. <laughs> I heard it so many unprecedented times. Yeah. Um, so that's what kind of got me interested in this topic. I wanted to see where we had come from in terms of vaccinations uh, and how we had got here. How did we get to this point where we are able to create a vaccine in less than a year because like we had said at the introduction the last quickest vaccination was the mumps the creation of the mumps vaccination and that took them four years and that was the fastest they had done previous really mm-hmm. so it, okay so we're probably going to get into this about this current vaccine they're working on but like that seems really dangerous to well, get into us a, a year out yeah so yeah looking at it just with that information yeah you could absolutely be like oh this can't be safe but there are reasons why vaccinations take longer and i will talk about that and so just because this one came out in less than a year doesn't mean that it's not safe so that is a really key thing that i want all of you listeners to know the covid19 vaccination is ridiculously safe just because it's faster doesn't mean that it was rushed or isn't safe thank thank you for clarifying that because i was like oh crap at the end of this am i going to become an anti-vaxxer no 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 vaccinations i will say don't you dare All right. So what is a vaccine? I hear you asking. What is a vaccine, Elizabeth? So as stated by the CDC, it is something that contains the same germs that cause the disease that we are trying to be protected from. So if we're trying to protect ourselves from measles, the vaccine will contain parts of the measles virus. However, we're not just jabbing people with the whole shebang. Instead, vaccines contain the germs in a weakened or destroyed state so that they don't make us sick. And some vaccines only contain part of the disease germ. That's good. I'm, I'm glad they're not just being like, here, have some COVID. No, <laughs> actually, well, and I'll get to this, but the COVID vaccine doesn't actually give you COVID either. They don't actually oh. use the vi- COVID virus. Well, I'm oh, sorry. I thought you just said that they use parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. You're getting me ahead of the topic. Sorry. This is, uh, (laughs) I I mean, I'm trying to, uh, I'm very interested in this relevant topic, but keep on going about um, your thing. (laughs) Well, no, I can answer your question. So um, the COVID vaccine that we have right now is what 
a lot of scientists are calling like a moon landing moment in the study of virology or whatever, um, because it's a completely different way of creating vaccines and doing vaccines. And I'm not going to talk more about it until the end, but just note that it is really cool because the COVID-19 vaccine is a little bit different. Do you see what she did there, listeners? She hooked you to make you watch until the end. (laughs) The way that vaccines work is by stimulating your immune system to produce antibodies. So this is the exact same that would develop if you were exposed to the disease. And so after getting vaccinated, you develop immunity to that disease without having to get it first. So like we were talking about earlier, prevention is an ounce of cure. I don't actually know what that cliche means or how to say it. I think I'm saying it wrong, but vaccines are super powerful and super awesome and should be used because unlike most medicines, which are used to treat or cure diseases, vaccines actually prevent them. So we just don't get the disease if you're vaccinated. Like I said before, the history of vaccines is ridiculously huge. It starts about in the seven, well, before 1700s. But I'm going to focus on what the Western world wants to credit as the first vaccination, which is the smallpox vaccination. Do you know what smallpox is? Uh, my mind went to chickenpox, but I know it's not that one. It was a disease that ravaged the... 1800s. I don't know when. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I was looking at your face for cues and you weren't giving me anything. No. So, so I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. well, um, you're not wrong. It was a part of the 1800s and the yes. 1900s, no, but no. also it's been around for a lot longer than that. We don't have smallpox anymore. It's been eradicated. So nobody can catch it. That's, Yay, that's vaccines. Cool. We, uh, we, we did it, guys. We did it, historians. We we defeated smallpox. We did. We really yeah. did. What it was was an infectious, contagious disease. Um, you would get a fever and a distinctive rash on your skin. I don't know how people really died from it. I couldn't really find that in my research. I'm assuming they probably just had a fever that just took over and they couldn't recover from that fever. But yeah. So fever and a rash. And most people... So this, this fact that I found online, I thought was really interesting, the way that they phrased it. Most people with smallpox recovered, but 30% did not. Oh. I personally wouldn't say that a 70% survival rate is most people. Although I guess if you phrase it that way. 30% just seems like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just 30% of the entire population? 30% of the people who got it. Oh, 30%. Okay. And how so many, they would how, die. How many people got it? A lot. It was very contagious and infectious. I don't actually have full numbers. Okay. But. Still, that's quite a bit. uh, Yeah, a 30% mortality rate. Yeah. It's more than COVID. uh, So, sorry, you might get into this later, but uh, do we know when was uh, smallpox uh, eradicated? I do. I have a whole little blurb about that. So hold on to your horses. Okay, I'm holding them. Hold on to your poxes or your cows, because cows play an important role in this story. Whoa, what a tease. (laughs) For all you cow lovers out there. (laughs) We're going to talk about them later. We are. Um, yeah, okay, so when you had smallpox fever uh, skin rash, most smallpox survivors were left with permanent score, uh, scars all over the body and especially their faces. So you can read literature from the time saying that their face was mocked by, m- marred by pox. So just think of like a little crater in your face or like a bigger scar than that. And that's kind of um, would have been a sign that you had survived smallpox. That, uh... That is the worst hell I can think of. It's poxes, scars on your face? Yes. That sounds awful. I need this. I know. It's your money maker. Yes. I'm doing model faces for those of you who can't see me. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you want to go around the world. You don't want to go through your life with just this like ugly, huge scar on your face. Yeah. Well, and if you do, I'm sorry. I'm not insulting you. Somebody listener at home is like, hey, 
I want that. But <laughs> you, but you could get a tattoo inside the crater that says "I survived small t- smallpox." I like that. Yeah. yeah, like a badge of honor. A badge of honor, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. But apparently, some of the scars could be so bad that they would like open up and like ooze, and that can get like super lead... infected. And stuff. Yeah, right. So I don't think that that's a very uh, healthy thing. I take it back then they maybe didn't have the best. Uh, Things to ward off infections, as we do today? No, they yeah. did not. I mean, they didn't understand what germs were or how to keep things clean. And in the 1500s, they had this whole idea of the four humors. And so um, blood bile. Um, I'm sorry, listeners. I am going drawing a blank on the other two. Four. Two. So blood and... Remember, this is not a math podcast. <laughs> blood, bile, I think vomit was one of them. And then I think like taking the airs might have been one. So like essentially people thought, oh, if I just take a bunch of blood out of this sick person, so bloodletting, um, they're going to get healthy because they have too much blood in their body and that's what's making them sick. So no, they didn't have good were, ways of keeping the, themselves healthy. Were these doctors vampires? <laughs> like... <laughs> We just need to take their blood out of them. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe I'll do that as a topic in the future. The vampires, four... yes. <laughs> the I four... want to talk about vampires. Actually, I do teach my um, English class a whole lesson about vampires before we study Dracula. Why have you never taught me about vampires? I am saving it for another podcast. Could, could we watch a, one of the Scooby-Doo shows? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so we don't actually know where smallpox came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's thought to date back to around the Egyptian emperor empire in the 3rd century BCE. So that's before Common Era. So okay. um, another quick little history tidbit. Usually we think of the date zero as the date of Jesus's birth. But that's very western and european centric way of seeing the world um so now we use things called bce i don't know why i clapped so that's before common era and ce which is common era so in the past you would see bc which means before christ and then you would have ad which some people think meant after death but it's not true it's latin for uh, after dinner (laughs) (laughs) um i'm gonna butcher this ado denomine don't nailed it no we don't know what latin actually well we do i don't know what latin actually sounds like i do but that just means um like the year of our lord it's interesting that you mentioned this actually because up until recently i i actually heard similar to what you're telling me right now and i up until recently i thought that uh it was still the before christ and after death and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. uh, do you know when it uh, became like when did they change that <laughs> Um, I mean, when I was studying history in university, it was common to use BCE and CE. So, oh, really? yeah, but I, I don't, I think it's a more recent um, way of dating the world, hmm. but it makes more sense. I mean, not everybody believes in Jesus, so. They don't. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so I don't know why we would be um, creating our home t- whole timeline based on this person that maybe more than half the world doesn't believe in. It's It yeah. kind of alienates the whole group of people yeah for sure yeah so we say bce before common era and then we say ce common era uh so smallpox they think comes back to the egyptian empire in the third century bce um because they found some smallpox like rash on three mummies 
Yeah, I know. I was like, I didn't realize that mummies were so well preserved <laughs> so that you could like see their faces and their rashes. I, I'm just picturing the the mummy with Brendan Fraser, except the mummy has smallpox on him. Mm. Craters. <laughs> it it's, a, it's a fun image in my head. Yeah. It changes the whole movie. It really does. Really. <laughs> yeah, running from the pox. Yeah. <laughs> So smallpox went around the world as most big diseases do. Um, It's traced to the growth and the spread of civilizations, exploration, and expanding trade routes. Other diseases have been spread this way as well. Um, So the plague followed the um, trade routes of the Silk Road from China into Europe and also on ships into Spain. And even COVID right now, right? It's following a, not necessarily a trade route, but planes, people traveling. Um, We're so connected that diseases can spread way quicker than they ever could in the past. So where the plague took, uh, I don't know, more than a few years to get from China to Europe, um, COVID got to us in a matter of months. Yeah, that's freaking wild (laughs) that that it spreads so quickly. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit about vaccinations and what smallpox is. So <laughs> we're still going to get to the history of this vaccination okay. because when we have disease, we also need to have uh, people trying to prevent it and creating cures. So our first evidence of an attempt to prevent smallpox, smallpox, uh, dates back as far as 1000 CE. So now we're into common era okay. um, in China and they would use some sort of smallpox inoculation. And I'm going to tell you the method for that in a few minutes. Seconds, even. <laughs> Sorry. If we were sponsored, that'd be like... A, but first, another word from our sponsor. So if you want to sponsor us, please let us know. Sponsor us, Kool-Aid. <laughs> All right. They also did this in Africa and Turkey. Um, in Europe, sorry, we were kind of far behind the times. We are not as advanced as, va- as, advanced as we thought we were. So, Dakota, would you like to hear how they inoculated people in the 1000s to 1500s? Boy, would I. Yes, okay. So this method involved grinding up smallpox scabs and blowing that matter into the nostril. What? (laughs) Yes. Can you imagine if doctors today were like, I think this will work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Please just snort this smallpox scab. It's really good, I swear. If you love cocaine, you're going to love smallpox. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that was one method. The other method, um, so smallpox can also create like pustules, like little boils on your body. So they would scratch the smallpox pustule and take that matter and then scratch the uninfected person's skin and then put the smallpox pus i guess essentially underneath that skin um and so the person would develop like a rash at the inoculation point yeah and uh hopefully they would survive hopefully (laughs) hopefully yeah this is actually called variolation it deals with only trying to eradicate the smallpox virus but using this manner people who were inoculated against smallpox in either the nostril blowing or the scratching of the pus, 3% of those would die because you're getting the smallpox. Right. Um, And so 3% of the people who were inoculated that way would die. But that's better than 30%. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) So one account of that that I found that I thought was really interesting um, was the emperor... Kang Shi of China in the 1500s. He survived smallpox as a child, and so he decided he wanted to have his children inoculated to save them. And so he wrote a letter to his children, and this is what he said in that letter. Okay. The method of inoculation having been brought to light during my reign, I had it used upon you, my sons and daughters. 
and all you pass through the smallpox in the happiest possible manner. In the beginning, when I had it tested on one or two people, some old women taxed me with extravagance and spoke very strong against inoculation. So perhaps the first Karen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The courage which I summed up to insist on its practice has saved the lives and health of millions of men. This is an extremely important thing of which I am very proud. And so that comes from a book called The Life and Death of Smallpox by Ian Glynn and Jennifer Glynn. All right. Any thoughts on that uh, letter that he wrote to his sons and daughters? Uh, yes, I was going to say this to the end for my what I learned, but I'm, I'm learning so many things. <laughs> I, uh, I think we just learned the origins of the first Karen. So thank you for sharing that with our audience. You're very welcome. Yeah, I... So part of studying history is looking at primary sources. And so this is a letter that is, um, serves to give us an idea of what actually happened during the time period. And we can learn a lot from it, um, or from primary sources at least. And I just, I thought it was really interesting that he, you know, had to sum up courage to try to inoculate his family. I don't know if he's talking about courage in terms of giving them the inoculation or to stand up against the old women who were taxing him with extravagance. I was I thought it was interesting because I think you can see there is relatability to what happens in the past to what happens today. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, one thing I like to state is that history does repeat itself. Maybe not exactly the same, did right? You, did you coin that term? I did. <laughs> it's my own. Trademark. Yes. <laughs> um, but like the things that happen in history, we will see similar things happening today. And it's not necessarily like exact same, but you know. Am I going to have to go through another pandemic? We might. I don't want to. You know, Bill Gates thinks we'll have to go through new pandemics every five to six years. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. That but, sounds awful. But with this new way of doing vaccination... With that we're going to learn about. Um, hopefully we can come up with vaccines a lot faster than we had in the past. All right, so that was one example of variolation. So again, remember, variolation refers to the actual putting of smallpox in your body. Right. Uh, it's similar to vaccination, but it's not vaccination, so there's differences. Um, with vaccination, you're putting a weakened version or a destroyed version of the virus, but with variolation, they were literally just sticking smallpox into themselves. Another example, um, and so people kind of think that this is an example of variolation coming to America. So there was a minister in Boston named Cotton Mather, and he was an, um, he had a slave, so he enslaved people, and his one slave was called Onesimus. Um, and so he noticed that his Onesimus had a scar on his face or his body or something. And so when Mather asked about it, he found out that a lot of other enslaved people um, had done this practice where they would, you know, cut themselves and put the smallpox in their body. Um, so they had been variolating themselves before America or Western people knew about this practice. And so when Mather was doing research into it, he found that a lot of this enslaved people were actually immune to smallpox. So I'm going to talk a little bit about anti-variolators here, which are similar to anti-vaxxers. An- sorry, anti-what? Variolators? Anti-variolators. I think I'm just making that word up. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually a word. I might have made it up. I might have read it. Okay, are you taking sources from Wikipedia? In history class, I was told we're not allowed to do that. No, uh, this actually all comes from the History of Vaccines website. It's fascinating. And the CDC actually uh, links to this website because they thought they were quite good. Well, you hear that, everyone? That sounds like we're official. We, They really are. So in 1721 in Boston, there was a smallpox outbreaks, and this is where Mather was living. 
Um, and so he was actually able to test out variolation for himself. So in this outbreak, 844 people died. Mather asked his physician, Zabdiel Boylston, to variolate a couple people. And so he ended up variolating 248, of which six people died. And like I said, 844 people died of just getting smallpox. So six that had been variolated versus 844. Mather received a lot of critique from this role. For example, a primitive grenade was thrown through the window of his house with it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, a primitive grenade? Yeah, so like obviously grenades aren't created at this time. Uh, so it was like some sort it was, of... It was just a rock. Yeah. They just threw a rock through his window. You can just say that. That might have been what it was, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure. So, well, I guess that makes sense because it had a note attached to it, so nothing exploded. <laughs> but, so attached to the primitive grenade and or rock, uh, the note said, Cotton Mather, you dog, damn you. I'll inoculate you with this, with a pox to you. Cotton Mather, you dog. I'll inoculate you with this. That is, is that how he talked? That is how they, that's how they spoke at that time. Yeah. 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 So, I mean. So, what was the, sorry, what was the time period of this one? 1721. Okay. Sorry, I was going for more of a 50s vibe. Yeah. I don't really know how they talked in 1700s, so. You're close, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure the 50s sound just like the 1700s. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, the main point of that is that people were against variolation. Yeah. They did not want people to be having smallpox shoved in their bodies based on religious grounds. Uh-huh. Remember when Jesus said, don't shove vaccines? Or we'll edit that part. <laughs> <laughs> scabs. There's scabs up your nostrils. Right, right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's in Matthew 12, 21. Yes. Uh, Jesus said, do not do thy cocaine smallpox. That's true. That's the one. All right. So people, Boston um, at this time period is a very Puritan society. So like very religious, strong beliefs in um, Christianity, but also um, very strict. So like no dancing, strong patriarchy, all of that sort of situation. So in Boston, the people who are against this were wondering if it fit in with religious teachings. And they argued that variolation was ungodly because it's not mentioned specifically in the Bible. That... There's a there's a lot of stuff that's not mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> I know. So I mean, there would be a lot of things that you just wouldn't be allowed to do based on this belief. Uh, it was also viewed uh, by some as a direct affront to God's innate right to determine who was to die and how and when death would occur. Several believe that smallpox outbreaks were well merited punishments for the sins of those who had contracted the disease. I mean, a little bit Old Testament God, I guess, but yeah. like, <laughs> not. Not really what Jesus wow, stands for. sounds like a fun time period to live in. Yeah, well, Boston at that time period, maybe not. So one more example I'll give you here for variolation in history. So we have Lady Montague. Oh, that sounds familiar. She's not the one from Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that that's why it sounded familiar. <laughs> yeah, not I was her. like, I know that one. Yeah, sorry to burst your bubble. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a British lady. Her husband was an ambassador to Turkey. Okay. So she was in Turkey and she had heard about this practice um, and she had her son variolated because her husband had been afflicted by the pox, and he actually had um, some really bad scars. And so she didn't want us; she didn't want her son to have the same disease. Obviously, so here's a little letter that she wrote to her friend, which I think is super interesting. It describes the process of inoculation. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so she's in Turkey. Here, the smallpox is entirely harmless by the invention of engrafting. So that's the inoculation, yeah. which is the term they give it. 
There is a set of old women who make it their business to perform the operation every autumn. The old woman comes with a nutshell full of the matter of the best sort of smallpox and asks what veins you please to have opened. She immediately rips open that you offer her with a large needle and puts into the vein as much venom as can lie on the head of her needle. Every year, thousands undergo this operation. There is no example of anyone that has died in it, and you may believe I am well satisfied of the safety of the experiment. And then she goes on to talk a little bit more in the letter about how she wants to take that method back to England with her. So I, I was just like, <laughs> while you're in that, I'm just like, ah, I wish she was doing a British accent. <laughs> so oh. nothing about the actual content of the letter. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just like, while you started that, I'm just picturing you go, oh, the... the here is the smallpox. It is go. entirely harmless by the invention of engrafting. Bloody hell. Oh, there's no, no smallpox in over here in jolly old England. They're in Turkey. Fuck! <laughs> Turkey? Sorry, I told you I'm really bad at history, okay? And... Well, that's geography. God damn it! <laughs> You're trying. I'm... You know, I'm just the everyman in this podcast, you, you know, are. and let's move on. Okay. <laughs> so, like I've kind of alluded to a little bit, the results of variolation were sometimes fatal. Yeah. So 2 to 3% of those who are variolated died, but 20 to 30% of people who had naturally contracted smallpox would die, so... You know, tit for tat. That's not the right phrase I want to use. <laughs> uh, also, the, one of the problems is that variolated individuals could still pass the disease on to other people. Fun fact about variolation before we get to vaccination. In 1777, George Washington, he was the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. So these are the guys that are fighting in America. He, and they're fighting against Canada and stuff, and France. Um, he ordered mandatory inoculation for the troops who had not survived a smallpox infection earlier in life. Um, this was because a year before they had tried to attack Quebec and about 5,000 of their 10,000 soldiers did end up catching smallpox. Oh, okay. And so it prevented them from being able to capture Quebec. So Washington decided that making mandatory variolation for the people in the army would help them. Mm -hmm. Capture Quebec. Yes, which we will talk about, probably. Oh, in this podcast or another one? Not in this podcast, no. Ooh. Ooh, so spoilers. Keep, so keep listening, and you might hear about how Quebec is going to be captured. Or not. Or not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so we're getting into the parts that we actually wanted to talk about here, vaccinations. Vaccinations are different than variolations because, like I said, variolation is only talking about smallpox and it's like injecting that live smallpox virus into your body. Vaccination is um, the term that we use to describe inoculating ourselves with all different types of viruses. So virus or vaccination encompasses a, a larger um, group of situations, I guess. Okay, so just to clarify, variolation is only with smallpox? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and vaccination is for when we're talking about other things. So the words are not interchangeable. And they're a different oh, process. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's a different process, too, that they're yeah. doing, right? Like, they're not sniffing the measles vaccine up their nose. That's, uh, that's how I want to do this whole, uh, you know, <laughs> From now on, COVID vaccine thing. I, I will wanna, only take I it if I can <laughs> snort it. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> the vaccination that we're going to talk about uses um, matter from the cowpox virus instead of the actual smallpox virus. So remember I talked about at the beginning when you're vaccinating, you're using a weakened or destroyed form of the virus. Yeah. Jenner's using actually a, t a totally different virus because it doesn't hurt humans. So it's actually really fascinating the way that he did that. It's, um, again, using a weakened form of the virus. And so it also means that less people are going to die. Um, so the term... 
vaccination was first used in 1800 after Edward Jenner introduced this vaccine. Um, and a fun fact, the word vaccination actually comes from the Latin word for cow, which is vaca. Vaca? Vaca is cow in... In Latin. I might not be saying that right. Cool. cool. And side note, one of the Jenners created a vaccine. I know, right? What? <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that why they're famous? Because, like, I can't figure that shit out. I, you know, I'm right there with you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So 1770, the time that we have all been waiting for, right? I've been talking about this variolation. I've been talking about smallpox. And we're like, when are we getting to those vaccines? I've been waiting. I know. Here we go. Uh, This is when he starts thinking about it. He hasn't created the vaccine yet, but he starts hypothesizing things in science take a while. He had realized that people who had been exposed to a disease called cowpox didn't necessarily get smallpox so they're different diseases um cowpox obviously affects cows Mm -hmm. smallpox affects humans so the legend um behind this whole idea is that jenner had heard this folk wisdom from a milkmaid she had caught cowpox from a cow so she had believed that she was immune to smallpox she had never caught in it her skin was smooth um and so this kind of inspired him to think about well if i inject people with cowpox is that going to protect them Okay, so we've been talking a lot about this other disease called cowpox. So what is cowpox? What is cowpox? I don't know. So it's actually an... You, un- you don't know? No. <laughs> I do know. Uh, okay, that'd be awkward. It would be really awkward. All right, so it's actually an uncommon illness in cattle. It's usually mild um, and can be spread to humans through sores from the cow. Okay, so I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever really seen a picture of any of these things, but I imagine that they're like these open wounds that just kind of ooze like pus and stuff um and so if you touch it and you're a human then you can get that disease as well so dairy workers uh cattle farmers they would often end up with cowpox because they're working with these cows that have the disease cow tippers Uh, too yes mostly cow tippers were the ones (laughs) that got this um and so they'd end up with the pustules on their hands they did have you could actually um spread it to other parts of yourself but mostly on your hands right Mm because That's the sound of milking. Yeah. In case you if, were you, if you didn't know, if you never worked, see, I grew up on a farm, and we always used to milk the cow, and we'd always go. Yeah. And that is how you milk a cow. Yes. They would get these sores, and they would get cowpox. So Jenner spending a couple of years trying to figure this out, thinking whether or not it would work. Um, a little side note: somebody else actually did this before Jenner did. Um, he was a farmer and he had seen the way that it affected himself versus his children. Um, and so he actually did this test before Jenner did, but he ended up being like, well, it's too much work to do research and publish it. So he never did. Damn. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. His, his loss, he would have been a bajillionaire. <laughs> I don't think that Jenner won, like got a ton of money. From have it. you seen the Jenners? That's they make true. so much money. That's true. They are. From self-made. their vaccine that they made. That must be it. the day of the vaccination may 14 1796 jenner finally tests the hypothesis that being infected with the cowpox will protect a person from a smallpox infection so what he does uh he takes james phipps who is the son of somebody i think who works on his farm area or something or son of one of his servants he takes some matter from a cowpox sore from the hand of the milkmaid sarah nelms so he takes it out of her hand and then he puts it into james phipps probably in the same way that they would have done variolation but it's different because it's not smallpox it's a cowpox 
so he suffers a local reaction, felt poorly for several days, but he made a full recovery. So Phipps inoculated with the cowpox. Then two months later, to prove his hypothesis, he exposed Phipps a number of times to smallpox, but Phipps never developed the disease. So it worked. Oh, yeah. Cool. His vaccination rapidly spread around the world. Um, governments and people think that this is a great idea to have your population safe from getting epidemics, right? If your population is dying or you have to pay money to make them healthy, it's not great. President of the United States, Tsar of Russia, King of Sweden, Emperor of the France, the Emperor of France, Napoleon I, and the Pasha of Egypt, Ali Muhammad, were all really enthusiastic about the vaccine. Not everybody was enthusiastic about this vaccination. Okay, so we talked about the anti-variolators. Now we're going to talk about the anti-vaxxers. Um, even though it prevented people from dying from the pox, it didn't mean that people were happy to have it injected into their bodies. Sorry, is that what they were calling back in the day? Eh, I, I, I don't... Did you get the pox? Yeah. Eh? Is yeah. that what they actually call it? Yeah, the pox. Cool. It prevented people from dying from the pox, but they didn't want it injected in their bodies. Again, you're taking a literal liquid from a pop, like a pustule from a cow and putting it into your body. So they felt that maybe this wasn't suitable for human use. Anti-vaccination literature at the time said that the use of calves to create the lymph was inhumane in both animals and humans. Did PETA come up with this? Yes. Well, early PETA. Yes. Ugh. So and they also, gross. They also talked about um, stock stockyards are disgusting. Cattle were sickly, um, and that people would be then exposed to other diseases such as tuberculosis, um, which apparently was also spread by cows. Apparently, oh. I didn't know that, and so that would co- cause a big danger for humans. So that is all I have really about the like early histories of smallpox vaccinations. We're gonna jump ahead quite a few years to 1959. 1796 was when Edward Jenner created the smallpox vaccination and it took us until 1959 for the World Health Organization to initiate a plan to rid the world of smallpox. Sorry, I want to get those dates again. What was the first one? 1796. The second one? 1959. That's a big, yeah, that's <laughs> big a, time span. <laughs> oh, 200 years. Holy crap. Yeah. No, yeah. no, my math's wrong. 159. Again, this is not a math podcast. Thank you. <laughs> so they called this the Global Eradication Program. Whoa. Right. And it suffered from a lack of funds, a lack of personnel, and a lack of commitment from countries, as well as a shortage of vaccine donations. Okay. So why did uh, nobody want to get on board with this? I think probably this is uh, just after World War Two. It's the era of the Cold War. There's a lot of um, infighting amongst countries about who's going to be the next superpower. Mm. I have no true answer for that, but I okay, that's well, my... That sounds right. Thank so. you. It's my guess. Despite their best efforts, smallpox was still widespread in 1966, um, and there were regular outbreaks in multiple countries across South America, Africa, and Asia. Hmm. So, in 1967, we have the newest program called the Intensified Eradication Program. The Intensified Eradication Program. Where they had renewed their efforts. Ten years from the Eradication Program to the Intensified Eradication Program. Did they think that adding Intensify to it was just going to... Everybody was going to be like, Intensify? We have to do it now. I think so, right? It makes you feel intense. It... That's how I feel right now. I know. It's quite intense in here. Yeah. 
so this time, laboratories in many countries where smallpox occurred regularly were able to produce more higher quality freeze-dried vaccines, so that makes it easier to get vaccines out to everybody. A number of other factors also played an important role in the success of intensified efforts. So they had developed a new needle, uh, they established a surveillance system to detect and investigate cases, and then they created mass vaccination campaigns. Okay, what, what did the campaigns look like? Like, what did they... Uh, what do they do for the campaigns? I have no idea. Oh, okay. You well, can I... edit that out. <laughs> so, the Intensified Eradication Program did work, probably because it was called Intensified Eradication Program. Yeah, that would make me... Intense? In... <laughs> that would make me intense. <laughs> no, that would make me uh, want to get on board. Absolutely. So, by seven... 1971, smallpox was eradicated from South America, followed by Asia in 1975, and Africa in 1977. Oh, wow. So I have a fun little fact here for you. Okay. Uh, the last person to die of smallpox was Janet Parker. That's her name. Um, so what happened? 1978, she was a medical photographer at the Birmingham University Medical School in England, and she worked one floor above the medical microbiology department where smallpox research was being conducted. On August 11th, she became ill and developed a rash on August 15th. So remember, rashes are symptoms of smallpox. She was not diagnosed with smallpox until nine days later. She died on September 11, 1978. And so they performed an investigation afterwards and they found that Janet Parker had either been infected by an airborne route through the medical school building's duct system or by direct contact while visiting the microbiology corridor one floor above. I was going to say, wow, that is a fun fact, but she died. So Did I say that was a fun fact? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm awful. That, oh, 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 oh. Um, interesting fact, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is a, what an interesting fact. Mm-hmm. And the interest, like, the thing about that, though, is that it's, that they wouldn't consider a natural infection, because she didn't get it from somebody out there wandering around the world, so... Mm-hmm. Apparently, I guess you can still get smallpox. It is a threat um, to world governments today. Oh, really? They do worry that it would be used as um, a weapon. How does one use that as a weapon? I'm not 100% sure, but I think you put it in, like, some sort of nuclear warhead, and then it, like, you would shoot it over the target, and it would dispel, like, vapors into okay. the air. And so then you just totally mess up a population. Absolutely. <laughs> you just be like, here. Smallpox. Mm-hmm. So biological warfare, it's a big oh, okay. scare for I've, many governments. I've heard of biological warfare mm-hmm. on the radio. Yes. <laughs> I don't listen to the radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got another wild fact for you. So recently, a soldier contracted it, smallpox. What? Recently? Yes. But it was gone. Well, so he had a vaccination for smallpox. So yeah. you still have to get vaccinated for smallpox if you're going to certain places in the world. And especially the army, they get vaccinated yeah. for lots of different diseases so he had his vaccination and then he decided he was going to go get a tattoo over top of the vaccination site okay which doctors tell you not to do (laughs) because when you get a tattoo your tissue becomes inflamed you become immunocompromised and so if you're doing that over top of where a virus has been implanted into your body you're going to get there's a higher chance that you're going to get that virus so he contracted it in his um tattoo and i saw the pictures and they were quite disturbing oh god i know and i was also thinking like it was a big tattoo went from his shoulder to his elbow yeah and that's a lot of money and now it's ruined it's just got all these like scabs all over his arm where he had contracted the virus let this be a lesson to you kids don't get tattoos (laughs) that's true I have a million. So I thought you said that uh, smallpox was was gone. It sounds like I have to worry about this shit now. (laughs) 
It's, this is my new fear. Smallpox. I guess if you are in, um, I guess, like a biological war zone or if you're going to join the American army. Sorry, bi- biological war zone. <laughs> no, uh, okay. It, it, it was, it, it's not going to work. But <laughs> I was going to say, well, I'm married. <laughs> I don't know what it means, so I was like, oh, that that joke doesn't doesn't work." But uh, you know, you you sometimes you swing and you miss. I guess I get where you're going with that. Yeah, I was trying to do the you know ah dry marriage you know joke. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Well, to answer your question, it is still kicking around the variola virus, which causes smallpox. Variola virus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sounds like an STD. Yeah, that's why it's called variolation. I just completely skimmed over your STD. <laughs> Don't tell anyone about my STD, dear. Keep it on the DL, I promise. Yeah. Yeah, so variola virus, variolation. Oh, okay. So, wow. Uh, okay, that's... Uh, cool, hey? Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, there's only a few labs in the world that have the smallpox virus because governments have decided that they should keep it around to do research on. Oh, okay. And so, the only places that it exists now in the CDC in Atlanta, Georgia, and the State Research Center of Virology and Biotechnology in Koltsova, Russia. Okay. So, either Russia or the states, if they wanted to be like... Biological warfare! They just could? I guess so. I mean, probably not. You're probably thinking that um, terrorist groups are going to steal samples. Oh, okay. So if somebody steals it, then they could be like, Biological warfare! Absolutely. Yep. That's what they're going to do. Yes. Okay. Let's carry on. So we're here right close to the end. I'm going to give you a quick word on the COVID-19 vaccines. Okay. So, late 2020, FDA granted emergency Mm -hmm. use authorization for a COVID-19 vaccination. Um, It took less than a year to create. So at the beginning of this podcast, you were talking about um, the efficacy of the vaccine and wondering whether or not, um, because it was developed so quickly, is it safe? Yes, because this vaccine hasn't been started from scratch. The virus that causes COVID-19 is SARS-CoV-2, is part of the coronavirus family. We have been studying coronaviruses for a really long time. So they can include the common cold, SARS, MERS. And so we've been looking at this virus. The COVID-19 virus isn't really new to us. It's in the same family. So it's got a lot of similarities. Is that why there's a 19 in the name or? Uh, I've always wondered that always (laughs) since the beginning of the year. I do think I remember hearing that it was because they found it in 2019, but don't quote me on that. See, I kind of wondered about that, about the number 19, but I was like, oh, but it didn't really come about here until 2020. Anyways. Well, they first discovered it December in Wuhan in China, 2019. Okay, in 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it did take a, it was a lot quicker to develop, but we weren't starting from scratch. So we didn't have to figure this thing out. We weren't like, what is this new virus? It, it has a blueprint that we are working from. That's interesting because I always thought it was just uh, this new thing. The way you hear about it, it's like, we don't know what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't know how this virus is going to work, but we can have an idea because of the way that the cold, the way that SARS and the way that MERS had traveled throughout the world and infected people that way. So yeah, we've actually been studying different coronaviruses for the past 50 years. Oh, Mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah. So they have the existing data on the structure, the genome, and the life cycle of this type of virus. Making a vaccine can take up to 10 to 15 years. 
because of the complexity of vaccines development. Really? And since time was of the essence, researchers quickly mobilized to share their coronavirus data with other scientists around the world. It's so very, very kind of them. I know. Well, so, and I think that the interesting part about that is we talked about the world eradication program mm-hmm. and countries weren't willing to work together to solve that problem. 70 years later, we have the, the COVID-19 virus and they are more willing to work together and create this vaccine in record-breaking time. Thanks to advances in genome sequencing, they were able to uncover the viral sequence in January 2020, which was roughly 10 days after the first reported cases in Wuhan, China. So we were able to see what um, like the DNA makeup of this virus was. That quickly? Yeah. Well, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Another prohibitor to vaccination research is that it's expensive, but lots of private sectors were raising money and lots of governments were throwing money at it as well. People who are conducting vaccination research usually um, have to wait around and raise the funds, but because this is such a public health issue and it's a pandemic that so many people want it solved. So they're not trying to raise the funds. They're, mm-hmm. They have the funds needed. Okay, that's good. Okay, and so then the biggest development of this technology is that we're kind of, of this new vaccine, is that they are using a new way to create the vaccine. Prior vaccines, as we had learned, use a weakened or an active or a different form of the virus. And these act as teaching tools for the body. But with the COVID-19 vaccine, They're actually not injecting you with a weakened strain of COVID-19. They are actually teaching the body, based on the protein, how to fight off the infection. So So they're they're not putting any of it into you? From my research, what I could understand, it sounds like they're not putting any of the COVID-19 virus into you. That's so nice of them. I know, thank you. (laughs) So this is called an mRNA vaccine. So what it is, is that the mRNA carries the instructions for how to make the proteins that are going to help protect you rather than just giving you the virus and so these instructions are kind of like implanted into you so i like to think of it as like a teacher's just implanted into your body and then if you were to get (laughs) your face looks really scared right now teacher is implanted into my body no this is an analogy i okay keep going but <laughs> i'm skeptical about a teacher being put inside my body no they so okay those <laughs> no, i might going. i, I want to see where this goes okay so it basically teaches your body how to create the immune response through the protein rather than teaching your body how to create the immune response by putting the virus into you and having to already kind of fight it off so, so something that teaches you not an actual teacher yes Okay, because, like, I just, you know, there's that weird, weird images in my head. <laughs> not, I'm not being injected into your body, babe. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, I, again, I'm not a scientist. I don't fully You're understand. not? No, I'm not a math teacher. I am not a science teacher. I am a history teacher. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, basically what I'm understanding is that rather than giving you the virus itself, or a weakened form of the virus, it's giving you the instructions that you need to fight off the, the virus. And so this is really important in terms of creating vaccines because instead of having to have um, purified large quantities of a weakened and inactive virus mm-hmm. in the lab, you can just give them the instructions uh, to make the proteins. And this replaces a previously unavoidable high labor process, which saves money. Interesting. So do you think like going forward for, you know, say the next pandemic or whatever like that, will they be able to do this process again do you think or is it because of the fact that we had coronavirus already strand different strains or whatever that we now we're able to make it faster or or put these teachers inside my body 
I think it's a combination of all of them. Okay. But a lot of scientists have called this a moon landing moment. Oh, this is big. Yeah. Wow. So I'm, which I'm like, why are we not talking about this more? But I think because it's actually like a really complex idea. Yeah. That it's hard to understand. Yeah. I mean, putting teachers in one's body, it's really. Yeah. So it it is probably going to change the future of vaccinations. Wow. That's, yeah. That's, that is a moon landing event. But I'm sorry to bring a little bit of a damper to your hurrah here. The thing about diseases is that they are tricky too. So what? we create this great new way. Tricky? Yes, we create this great new way of combating or preventing disease. Well, they can evolve to become... Pokemon. Strong. Or stronger strains of a virus that are harder to cure or prevent. Sounds like Pokemon to me. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, that is the end of the history of the smallpox vaccination. So now I'm going to give you my rating, okay? Now, I thought that was riveting information. And for a non-history person like myself, I thought that was, like, super informative, actually. Really cool. I am going to give it eight cocaine smallpox scabs out of ten. Hmm. Yeah. So I've got work to do. I Okay. I think... I, I feel like if I gave you a 10 right off the bat, that that is, you know, and if, even if I were to give you a 10 uh, consistently, people don't want to tune in to me just, you know, fluffing your butt and stuff, you know? As no, they, no, you got to be true to As they you. say, I got to be true to me. But I will say, take an 8 as a great score. As someone who doesn't like history and stuff like that, I found it uh, actually very interesting, especially like... The newer stuff, like the, um, I have a harder time focusing on older uh, historical events and stuff like that. But the the fact that this one was so relevant to what we're going through today, I thought was a great starting point. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that that's a really good thing that you can impart to your, our listeners is that there are always connections that you can make to today. And that's my goal really here with this podcast is to show that history is still relevant today. So that's all the time we have for today. So I just really want to sincerely thank you all for listening to us and our first podcast here at The Reluctant Historian. It really means a lot to me in Dakota that you would take time out of your busy day and listen to us talk about smallpox. If you want to find us, go to thereluctanthistorian.buzzsprout.com. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you have any advice for future shows or any corrections that you think we should make to our smallpox episode or information that I might have missed, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So we will see you next week. Same time, same place. And keep snorting those scabs. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Erickson, host of The Open Highway. You know, I've had some incredible adventures in my life, and along the way I learned a little bit about everything, which, to be honest with you, is just enough to get me into trouble. But I bring that with me when I sit down with guests from the worlds of politics, news, science, current events, entertainment, and more. The Open Highway with Eric Erickson. Join me on The Open Highway, and let's have a conversation. Find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.